cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Shailene Title, co-founder of Powerball Center. Shailene, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I want to start kind of earlier on in your career. Was cannabis a big part of your life? Like, how did you migrate into the space? Was it something you always thought you, you would enter into? You know, um, it was just one of those things in college where, like, you learn about... <laughs> different uh, things that you you may not have been aware of. And it was very clear that the cannabis laws were unfair. I liked to use cannabis. I especially liked to use it around then. And it seemed like everybody around me was um, very much in favor of legalizing, regardless of their politics or their party. And so this has been kind of a recurring theme in my career, it just kind of felt like everybody was saying, wow, somebody should do something about this. So I thought, okay, why don't I? And that's kind of how I got started. So let's stay with Parabol Center and the value it brings. I know you said it's not funded by big cannabis business. Who, who, like, who is the, the intention of the organization for and who does it help? So it's a nonprofit 5013 organization, 501c3 organization, and it is intended to help the population that really every cannabis policy organization says it wants to help, which is what I would describe as historically excluded communities. So certainly small businesses, certainly um, minority owned, those that are owned by communities that have been disproportionately harmed by prohibition. Um, farmers, veterans, and then women uh, and people who have otherwise been excluded um, as entrepreneurs. And the reason I mention all of these groups is because I think that they are very much, their needs are often very much in contrast to what big companies need. Uh, Not always, but often. And so when you have organizations that are funded by big corporations, they're not able to take those bold, transformative positions that an organization like Parabola Center can. What is our current status today for safe banking? And what do you think is needed to get over the line so that it can be passed on both parties? I'm not a politician or a lobbyist, you know, so I'm not necessarily the expert on that. But I will say that I do feel much more optimistic than I have the past six or seven times that this bill, you know, has been passed by one chamber and failed because I've been very consistently calling for amendments for at least a year. As soon as I sat down and and read the bill, when my term as a state regulator ended, I realized there were a lot of problems with safe banking and raised them. And, uh, to quote myself, people weren't ready to hear it (laughs) at that time. But this year, I think there's just been a change among um, both the public and legislators and their staff where they really want to get this done and they want to make this a bill that is equitable and where the talking points about the bill, right? That it would improve access to banking and financial services for small businesses, you know, improve public safety uh, to make the bill actually do that. And so there've been very robust conversations about amendments. Um, I do think there's openness to amend the bill. And 
a lot of people ask me when they look at our amendments, you know, what about Republicans? I don't think that Republicans are going to stop this bill from passing just because it has some provisions in it that are going to benefit small businesses. I think that if Republicans support the Safe Banking Act, they're going to continue to support it with equitable amendments as well. The most important thing right now in my mind is if you are part of these populations that are supposedly the beneficiaries of this bill, that you should be paying attention and looking at the amendments um, and certainly talking to your to your representatives in Congress about it. Big tobacco and alcohol companies are making significant investments into cannabis, and even large conglomerates are openly expressing interest into the industry. Left unchecked, the scramble for market share threatens to undermine public health and safety and undo bold state-level efforts to build an equitable cannabis marketplace. Why do you think left unchecked that, that this could happen? Were you quoting me there? I was quoting you there. <laughs> I was like, yes, what a great question. And then realized you weren't quoting. Okay. Um, why do I think that left unchecked? This is a problem. Yeah. Because I think that we are set up to create a monopoly unless we put specific guardrails in place to prevent a monopoly from happening. For the everyday average consumer who operates in the industry, what can they look out for to see the signs of big tobacco making their way into cannabis? Is it the large investments like Kellen spoke about or are there more under the radar techniques that they may be used that you know you can provide an example on that you've seen in the past that could be an early indicator that this is happening sooner rather than later? Um, that's a great question. Well, this is very, they're very good at hiding their, <laughs> their steps. And so I think most people don't even know about the big tobacco front organizations right now. I would say two things, actually three things. So one, if you're a consumer, um, just pay attention to what you're buying and where it's coming from. That's just a really good practice in general. And it's going to become more important in the, the coming years. Um, you know, don't rely on advertising to educate you. Second, um, definitely follow Parabola Center. I think we're the only organization that's kind of got a watchdog role uh, at the moment on, on those activities. And then third, if you call your federal representatives, they are going to care about this issue. I actually have a lot of legislators that I've talked to that couldn't care less about cannabis, definitely didn't care about social justice. But then when I started talking about big tobacco, they were like, oh, Jewel, Big Tobacco, Altria, what are they doing? And they really cared um, because for some reason, no, well, I know why. The reason is that they've done all of this harm to legislators' constituents already. They care. And so that would be the third thing is just contact your legislator directly and tell them that you're worried about Big Tobacco taking over cannabis. They probably haven't heard that before. They're probably only hearing kind of the same story from cannabis businesses who can afford lobbyists. And so if they hear that for the first time from their constituents, it's going to make a big impact. What is one rule or regulation you wish all states would adopt universally? Well, the first one is just the, the limits on licenses, but I, I won't belabor the point on that. I think universal labeling would be great. I think it's kind of silly that we have so many different label requirements. And I think a lot of them are not in line with um, best public health practices in terms of what consumers should be seeing. I'm moving into the rapid fire. I'm excited. Shailene, true or false, states should allow medical operators to switch to recreational. False. Under the radar state, you think where the market will be bigger than most believe? North Carolina. 
True or false, a successful cannabis market is one that is opened as fast as possible. False. Legalizing cannabis federally will solve industry's current problems of inequality access. Ooh, false, false, false. True or false, all states should allow some version of homegrown. True. Better chance of happening first, Michigan beating Ohio State in football or some form of banking being passed in cannabis. <laughs> Banking. Which outside industry Titan do you think is poised to be a major threat in cannabis? Uh, none of them. We're going to hold them all off with anti-monopoly laws. What is one factor statistic that would shock people working in the cannabis industry? The regulators don't know anything about cannabis, typically. 20 years from now, we will look back and say, that was barbaric. I can't believe we did that in cannabis. What is that? Fired people for using cannabis. Barbaric. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? That all cannabis users are the same and that they're all heavy users. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in the cannabinoid space in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? We have the power. And don't look at other industries or lobbyists or um, subjects and try to learn from them because we are very much our own movement. We've been very successful just listening to the people and we got to keep doing that. Awesome. So Shailene, for our listeners, they want to learn more. They want to get in touch. Where can they find you? So I'm very active on Twitter, just at Shailene Title. And then you can find Parabola Center on Twitter and Instagram. If you go to parabolacenter.com, you can find all of our reports and model bills and tools. Those are all free for everybody. Awesome. We will link all those up in the show notes. Thanks so much for taking time. This was really fun. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.